Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. Amen. I want you to take your Bibles this morning. I want you to turn with me to the book of James. I'm going back to James. If you'll notice around the room, you see some different pictures and some posters that's on us because in October, we begin a month of mission. And we emphasize missions every October, not just in giving, um, in your giving, but we emphasize this in a personal way because I believe that the Lord wants to use you to reach other people for Jesus. I'm going to say that again. I believe that the Lord has a plan for you to reach people who don't know him for Jesus. Can you say amen? He's got a plan for you and he wants to do that. And you say, oh, pastor, that's just not my thing. You know, let me tell you something. You've been commanded by our Savior. He said, go and make disciples. You go, get out in the streets. Go When you go to work, when you go to school, live the life, talk the life, show the life to everybody around you because it's important. Let me tell you, you may be the last voice someone hears before they enter eternity. That's a big responsibility. That's why we take it so serious around here. We have to reach not only our world in Denton and in Texas and in uh, America and overseas, which we are a part of all of those aspects, but we need to do that on a personal level. It's not the person down the road that needs to, or down your, down your aisle that needs to get hold of that truth. We have to get a hold of that truth. But we're going to the book of James this morning. In James chapter 3, um, I'm going to f- jump back into that series that we've kind of been walking through in the book of James. James has a unique perspective on, on Jesus. And I love it because James is a blue-collar guy coming from a blue-collar home. He's just a working-class guy. But he has a unique perspective on Jesus. I mean, think about it. James um, saw Jesus when he was young. I mean, James might have shared a bunk bed with Jesus. We don't know. James ate family dinner with Jesus. He might have got some hand-me-down sandals from Jesus. We don't know. But James has a unique perspective on who Jesus was because James saw Jesus on Saturday night and he also saw him on Sunday morning. And he knew his life. And I think that that's why James gives us a very practical message. If you'll notice, James is not a stuffy, long theological treatise of theology and doctrine. It is a practical guide to everyday living. And that's exactly what James intends. That's his point. You can go to verse 4 of chapter 1 and you'll see why that he's, why he wants to write this. So that those of us who hear his message can become mature and complete and lack nothing. And that's why I'm calling this series Missing Pieces. Because there may be some things in your life, Christian friend, Or there may be some things in your life, if you don't know Jesus, that are missing. If you don't know the Lord, you're missing joy, hope. You're you're missing peace. You're missing out on everything in life. That's all good. And that's permanent. And it's lasting. If you don't know the Lord, that's what all you're missing out. But you may be a Christian and you may understand all those things. But there may be some things that you're missing. We've already heard about two things. In chapter 1, James talks about perseverance and trials. Some of you... Give up a little bit easy when life gets tough. And the Lord speaks through James and he says, Look, get a little, get a little grit. Get a little, a little resolve in your life. 
Develop perseverance because when perseverance has finished its work, then you're going to be strong and mature, complete. You're not going to lack anything. Then in chapter 2, James, he talks about how our, we have to practice our faith. Not just hearing the word and doing the word, but when you say something about your faith, you have to live it out. Can I get an amen on that? I'm sick and tired of Christians who talk the talk but don't walk the walk. Anybody else? That's what's wrong with America. We've got a lot of talking but a whole lot less walking. We don't live it. We're not living it out. If you confess Christ, then your life should look at, look like Christ. You should resemble the Lord in everything that you do. And in James chapter 3, he says you should resemble the Lord in your speech. Look at your neighbor and say, oh, he's about to get all over me this morning. Don't look at your wife or husband and say, oh, he's going to get all over you this morning. Don't do that. He's going to get all over me. How many of you know people who are not very good at holding their tongue? How many of you know self-confessed believers in this room? Amen. Thank God for truth. The Holy Spirit will bring all truth to you, and He's doing it right now. Man, I didn't know it would work on the first part of my message, but man, let's go. Let's go. Holy Spirit, do your job. Listen, how many of you know people, maybe you, who often fall into unhealthy communication? Not only don't know how to hold their tongue, but they don't know how to keep their mouth in check. Very often, the most frequently missed piece in a Christian's life is their speech. If I were to, to just take a, a poll and I'd say, you know, where, where do you struggle in your life the most? Many of you would say, It's what comes out my mouth. It's what I say. It's what I speak. You see, we communicate a lot. In 1980s, they did a study about how many words people used. Now, you've all heard the story that men use less words than women. Do you all know that? That's why when you come home from work and she's and she meets you there in the driveway and she's been at work, she's still got thousands of words to use before bedtime. You have you are gone by noon, bro. At lunchtime, how you doing? Good. That's why men only use one word answers. It's because we're out of words. We don't know what else to say. How was your day? Good. That's all it was. And then you ask her how her day went. You're just not going to believe the day that I've had. And then that's when you go, oh, Lord, what have I done? In the 1980s, they did a study that most people used about a million words per year. Now, things have changed since the 80s because now we have post-Internet world where we have texts and we have emails, and we have social media. It's figured that now we use approximately a million words of communication every month. 
Over the course of, of the lifetime in the 1980s, a person would use about 860 million words in the course of their lifetime. Now it's 10 times that. How much communication do we have? We have tons of communication. And that's why in every moment of your life, you're communicating. You're communicating when you're angry, when you're hurt, when you're discouraged, when you're frustrated, when you're excited, when you're happy, when you're sad. You are constantly communicating. And in those moments, you have to ask yourself and you have to look at yourself and you have to catch your mouth and you say, am I speaking life or am I speaking death? Am I building up or am I tearing down? And that's the most often thing that's missing in a Christian, at least that I've seen, is their speech. You see, there's incredible power in our speech. God gave us the smallest thing to create the most incredible power. There is so much power. In your, with your words, you can preach God's word. With your words, you can praise him. You can sing unto God. You can witness. You can share. You can lead people to Jesus. But with your same words, you can tell lies. You can destroy reputations. You can, you can uh, break a person's heart with your words. A powerful thing that God entrusted us with that seems so small, but yet it's so big. And knowing that, James writes to stress this importance. He's going to give, in, in chapter 3, he's going to give us six word pictures. He's going to talk about a, belt, a bit, a rudder. He's going to talk about a poisonous snake he's going to, or an animal. He's going to talk about fire. He's going to talk about a fountain. He's going to talk about a fig tree. He's going to use all these different word pictures to describe something. And he's going to describe three characteristics, three powerful characteristics of a mature Christian when it comes to their words and their speech. Let's look at that. Verse 1. James chapter 3. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. And when we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or a ship has a, an, an example as an example or I'm sorry, or a ship as an example, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So James says, look, there is, there is incredible power in your words. You see, the first thing that, he, that I see in this passage is that James says that there, the tongue, the words have a power to direct lives. Now, apparently, what was going on is everybody wanted to teach Everybody wanted to be the teacher. But when we read this, we think, oh, well, everybody came to church and they wanted to be the preacher. Everybody wanted to be, you know, on the platform. Everybody wanted to do something. That was a church setting. But a better way to think of it is that everybody really just wanted to be heard. Not many of you should presume to teach. You see, the word teach is the word or teacher is didaskalos, which means to instruct. Okay? To instruct. And when you think of a teacher, when you think of an instructor, it means that somebody is speaking, like I'm doing here, and then there is a group of people who are sitting quietly and they are listening because I've given instruction from the Word of God. And James says, look, not many of you should presume to give instruction. 
So James says, you want to be in charge? You want to be the one talking? Well, remember this, that every one of you, whenever you're talking, whatever you're saying, your speech comes with incredible responsibility. And you are accountable for your words, the words that you say, the words of instruction that you give to other people. You're accountable. You're responsible for those words. That mean for a preacher? Yes, absolutely. And I take this verse very seriously because over the course of the last 27 years of ministry, full time, I have said a whole lot of words in the name of the Lord. And I say, oh God, give mercy unto me on the day of judgment that I might not have caused any, Lord God, of these little ones to stumble. Yeah, preachers, teachers, yes, of course. There's an incredible responsibility for those who teach in the church. I don't care if it's in the nursery or preschool or kids or in a classroom setting or in a small group. There's an incredible responsibility that you have because there is an incredible amount of judgment that goes along. You are instructing people in spiritual things. Whether you're coaching, yes. What about what you post on Facebook? You're responsible for that. You're accountable to that. Why? Because you are speaking and you are responsible for your words. James says you shouldn't presume to, to give instruction or to make those comments or to think that, that, that your opinion is so important that you've got to get it out there online. My friends, listen, it'll never go away. 30 years from now, what you wrote on Facebook back whenever today will still be there. It doesn't evaporate and words are the same way. When you speak something, even if it's from here to there and nobody can see it, they can just hear it. It never goes away because it implants itself in the hearts of those who hear One important thing is when you're teaching the Word of God, the Bible says that the Word of God shall not return void. What does that mean? That means that the Word of God is like a sticker bird. It's like a sand bird. It's like a grass bird. You get those things on you and they get just hard to get out. The Word of God is the same way. It comes to our hearts and you can't get rid of it. You've been exposed to the Word of God and that truth. And what happens is if you're young and you've been raised in church and you've heard the Word of God preached, you go out there on Friday night and you try to have a good time, but the problem is is you you know too much to have a good time. Because you've heard the Word and that sticker inside of you. It's the Holy Spirit pointing some things out. So He says, look, You're responsible for your words because your words give direction. They give direction not just at church, but they give direction at home. Parents, you're responsible for the words that you speak over your home and and to your children. I was driving down the road one day and uh, just taking off. You know, I'm just driving. And (laughs) on the freeway, Seth was a little guy and he was sitting in the backseat of this truck driving. This dude cuts me off. And I go, oh, man. And out of the back seat, I hear, what an idiot. And I said, oh, my young disciple back there. Thank you. And I thought, I've got to quit verbally processing while I'm driving because it's getting stuck back here in the back seat. Come on, somebody. Come on. That verbal processing while you're on the road. Dear God, where'd you get your license? Cracker Jack box? You joker. Get a bike. Walk. Get off the road. Idiot. Crazy people. Yeah, it's, I'm responsible for that. I've also got a, a honk ministry that I'm trying to break. 
in the name of Jesus as well, because it's going to get into the... Some of y'all have that ministry. How many of y'all have that ministry of honk? Come on. Bless God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God, you said that we would speak and they would mountains would be moved. I'm just asking for a car to move. Lord, move it. You're responsible on your job for what you speak. When you're training the new guy, what words are you saying about your boss? What words are you saying about the company? Come on, you're responsible. James says, look, not many of you should, should presume to instruct people because when you begin to instruct, you're planting stickers in people's lives that don't come out. Your words are accountable to you and you will be judged by them. One of the scariest things I've ever heard is in Matthew chapter 12 when Jesus says that we will be judged by every word that we have, been, that we have spoken. That's scary to me. So the Holy Spirit's probably convicting some of you right now. But here's the, here's the good part. There's two types of teachers. There's two types of didaskalos. There's one kind that says, I'm not perfect, and I know it. And there's another kind that says, I'm not perfect, and I don't know it, and I don't care. What you have to realize is it's tough to keep your mouth in check. And that's why James says in verse 2, he says, we all stumble. I love that word all. I'm so thankful that he included us all in that one. We all stumble. Praise God. Not enjoying the fact that we're going to stumble, but enjoying the fact that I know, God, I stumble. So I guess I'm going to be included in that. We all stumble, James says, and a mature Christian understands that the most frequently, the, the odds are is that you're going to stumble with your mouth because he says if you can keep your mouth in check, you can keep your whole body in check because your words will always lead to actions. And he uses two word pictures and you can see it. He talks about a bit. And with a bit in the mouth of a horse, you can al allow a rider to control the direction of the horse. Now, I've been raised around horses. I've ridden horses all my life. And I know how that works. You put that bit in their mouth. Before that, they've got the halter on. Nothing's in their, nothing's in their mouth. There's no sensitive part that, that's upon that. That halter is just over their head. Now, you can lead them and you can pull them. But let me tell you something. If a horse really, really, really wants to get away from you and you just have a halter on him, forget it. Forget it. My dad's got a little donkey. He's about that tall. He runs around, and there's two big, huge horses he's got, and that little donkey thinks he runs the show. And he's tried to halter that donkey, and let me tell you something. We put a halter on that donkey before, and he'll stand there, and he'll dig his feet in the ground, and you can pull on him, and we'll say, Come on, pistol! Come on, you little goofy donkey! And you're jerking on him, and he'll just raise his ears straight up and just look at you and not move. We haven't tried to put a bit in his mouth because I don't want to ride him because he's only that time my feet would drag the ground. But it doesn't make any difference. The thing is, is you've got to put the bit in the sensitive part of that mouse, mouth so that they can be turned. In the same way, he talks about a rudder. An, uh, an incredibly huge ship can be steered and overcome the waves and the wind with just a rudder. 
You see, we have an old nature in us and we have circumstances around us because in the donkey, it's just the old nature. It's that old donkey, stubborn nature. But when it comes to a ship, it's not in the ship because it's, in, it's a, you know, a non-conscious being. It's just a huge thing. But the winds and the waves will direct it. So we're fighting an old nature that's inside of us, but we're also fighting circumstances around us. It's like this. Oh, man, i got to just quick temper. And when I have a quick temper, I speak quick. That's just who I am. And my words come out. My words stumble. Well, I've got hurts, you know, and you've heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. Well, that's true. And they just speak out because of these hurts that are inside of them. But you've also got circumstances where the circumstances around you externally affect what you say. Some of you were spoken to very harshly by your parents. You heard things in your house that you never should have heard. And what happens is as you grow older and you develop your own family, here's what happens. You have a tendency to echo the exact words and speech that you grew up with. What you have to learn is you have to learn that you need the bit and the rudder because your speech will direct your life. And if you don't want to go to that life, then you've got to turn the rudder. You've got to pull on the rein. You have to constantly guard your mouth. Because see, the only way that a bit works is if somebody's holding the reins. You can stick a bit in a horse's mouth and you can drop the reins and that horse will go wherever he wants to go. But you have to have the reins. Someone has to be holding the reins. You need the Holy Spirit to help you to hold the reins of your mouth. Because my friend, you can't steer it by yourself. You need the Holy Spirit to pull and to tug. And that's why when you get into that, into that heated argument with someone, the Holy Spirit's in you saying, ah, don't, don't, don't. He's pulling on you. He's holding you back. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. A rudder is only good if you have someone standing there manning the wheel and standing on the bridge and holding the wheel because the things in the world, they're going to stir you. They're going to rock your boat and they're going to push against you. And you have to hold steady to the wheel. Hold steady as she goes, son. Got to hold because it only works when somebody is manning. You have to guard. That's why David said in Psalm 141, verse 4, he says, set a guard over your mouth. Oh, Lord, keep watch over the door of my lips. David knew this secret of guarding continually his mouth. Lord, you've got to help me. I can't do it. This thing is powerful. I can't do it. But never underestimate the power of your words. Your words direct your life and they direct the lives of others. In 1855, there was a Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball. He was teaching a bunch of junior high boys in 1855. He taught them, and he didn't think that he was really getting through to them. So what he decided was in those days, everybody, all the kids, even the kids worked. And he said, look, I'm going to go visit all of the boys in my Sunday school class. He ends up going to a shoe shop where one of his boys was working as a shoe repair guy with, with, in that shoe shop. And he walks into that store and he has a conversation with a young man named Dwight. And he leads this young man that had sat in his Sunday school class that he didn't think was getting anything. He leads this man named Dwight Moody. 
to the Lord. Dwight L. Moody in the late 1800s later became one of the most famous influential evangelists in America. He held revivals and crusades all across the country. He even went over to England. He did incredible things for God. In one of the meetings that Dwight Moody had, another man showed up in that meeting and his name was Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur came to the altar at the meeting that Dwight Moody was preaching and he gave his heart to Jesus. And he felt a call into the ministry. And Wilbur Chapman did exactly what Moody did. He went out and he began to tell people about Jesus. And before long, he's preaching in one church and going to another church. And then he's having these tent revivals. One of those tent revivals, a young man who was a professional baseball player in the early 20th century, in the early 1900s, shows up at that revival. He'd heard about it. They were in town. He was practicing baseball. And he got a day off. And so he goes to this tent revival. And this kid named Billy, Billy Sunday, walks down to the altar. He gives his heart to Jesus. Well, if you know the story about Billy Sunday, he took the mantle up and he started doing the same thing that Moody had done. He started doing the same thing that Wilbur Chapman had done. He goes out and he begins to tell people about Jesus. And before long, Billy Sunday, because of his recognition as a professional baseball player, he starts holding uh, events and people start coming to hear him speak. And as he's speaking and he's telling people about Jesus, there's another man that shows up at his revival and his name is Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham comes, gives his heart to Jesus at a revival, a tent revival that Billy Sunday was doing. Mordecai Ham begins to serve and do exactly the same thing that these other men had done. They go out and he's, he's preaching. And then finally he takes a pastoral position in Charlotte, North Carolina. One of those weeks, they have a special meeting. And a young man named Billy, his nickname was Billy Frank, shows up at that meeting. And he hears someone talking about Jesus. Billy Frank comes the next night, compelled by the Holy Spirit. He walks down to the altar. He gives his heart to the Lord. Billy Frank is also known to us as Billy Graham who over the course of his life, they estimate, has spoken to 2.2 billion people. What started all the way back with Edward Kimball, Edward Kimball, Dwight Moody, Chapman, Sunday, Ham, Billy Graham, the power of your words is generational. It doesn't have to tear down for generations. It can build up for generations. There is power in your words. The power to direct lives. Let me look at the second part. The second part is that that he comes to is in verse 5. He says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body. And it makes great boasts. Anybody ever heard anybody brag? About back in 1994 when we won the Super Bowl. I had to throw that in there. Humility, friends. Humility until the 15th week is good. 
Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole cause of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a, look at this, a restless evil full of deadly poison. Back in August, you and I, we watched the news and we saw the fires over in Hawaii, the fire consume Lahaina. I've been into that little town, I don't know how many times, Lahaina. It's Shannon and I, honestly, that's our favorite place on earth that we've ever been, that little town. It was constructed, most of it, those buildings were built in the 1700s. It's a little, just a, a native village it started off. It's just a quaint little place. But the circumstances that led to the destruction of that town started when Hurricane Dora, the winds began to blow. 70, 80 miles an hour winds blowing over that. And if you don't know anything about Hawaii, you understand that there is a green side and there's a dry side. Lahaina is on West Maui and it's the dry side. They get hardly any rain. Everybody thinks Hawaii gets rain all the time. No, no, no. On certain parts of the, mount, of, the of the islands. The north side of the islands, they get like feet of rain every year. But when you go over on the, the other side, the leeward side of the mountain, it's as dry. It looks like just a volcano. The only grass that they have there is the grass that they have to put water on. And same thing with trees. It's dry. And the wind began to blow. And the conditions were dry. And the telephone or poles, electric poles began to fall over. And from those, one of those poles, a little spark ignited this incredible fire that was upcountry. And it slowly began to move. Several times they said, oh, we've got it put out. But then it would pop up because the winds were so fierce. And we know that 115 lives later, at least at this count, behind a fire destroyed everything. You see, the power of speech also has the ability to destroy lives. David said in Psalm 39, and I read from the New Living because I like how he phrases it, I said to myself, I will watch what I do and not sin by what I say. I will hold my tongue and when the ungodly are around me. Look at verse 3. The more I thought about it, the hotter I got, igniting a fire in my words. Has anybody ever been there? God, I'm not going to sin. I will not say I'm not going to respond. I will not respond. I will not respond. And all of a sudden, the heat begins to rise in you. Your temper begins to boil and you get hot. And you do just like David. Man, the hotter I got, it ignited a fire. Just like Lahaina, it was a fire that that became uncontrollable. Nobody could touch it. Nobody could put it out. You see, a hot head and a hot heart will lead to hot words that come from hell. James saw this firsthand. James heard what said about his brother, Jesus. They called him a drunkard. They called him a a, a glutton. All he does is just go hang out with drunks and parties. It's all Jesus does. 
They called him demon-possessed. They said, no one can do this except Beelzebub. It's got to be the devil. He's full of the devil. You think James didn't hear that? Oh, James heard it. That's his bro. James heard it when the people talked about his cousin, John the Baptist. Not only was John the Baptist Jesus' cousin, but he's James' cousin too. John the Baptist, he wasn't the most refined person. I mean, when you walk around with camel's hair and you eat honey and locusts, I mean, come on. I mean, he's not refined. But they also called him, oh, he's devil-possessed. He's out of his mind. He's a lunatic. James heard it when they would talk about his own mother. You see, there was people who still didn't buy the whole, oh, yeah, virgin birth stuff. There were still people who looked at Mary sideways and said, yeah, that first kid of hers, who knows who the father is? Are you hearing me? And it would be easy for James to hear all that stuff and for the heat inside of him to rise and for him to respond. But he recognized that speech can destroy lives. And he didn't want it to destroy his, and he wasn't going to destroy somebody else's. And he says that heat, that fire comes from hell. That word is in the Greek is called Gehenna. Gehenna. It's used about 11 times throughout the New Testament. They used the, the word Gehenna was a place just outside of, of Jerusalem in the city in the little valley, and they called that Gehenna. And the reason why they called that Gehenna is because centuries before, millennia before, pagans would offer their children as sacrifices in that area. There was a temple in Gehenna, in that area. They would sacrifice their own children. So the Jews of James' day, they just they looked at that area and they said, that's a cursed area. Nobody lives there. And so what the Jews did was they turned Gehenna into the city dump. When a criminal would die or they would be executed, they would just take that person and they would throw them out into the Gehenna. Isaiah describes Gehenna. He says, you can look out and you can see the smoke of Gehenna rising during the day. And he said, you can see at night the fires of Gehenna. Gehenna, hell, you can see it. He says, the fire that, that we speak that can destroy people's lives, it comes straight from hell. And James says, look, our mouth can bring incredible destruction and it can bring hell upon people. And so you have a choice to make, James says. You're either an arsonist or you're a firefighter. I love it when Jesus is hanging upon the cross and they are bringing hell upon him. And what does Jesus do? Father, forgive them. He pours buckets of grace out upon those who are speaking hell over him. Giving him hell. That's what you do when your words catch fire and they begin to spew out on people around you. You are giving them hell. You are placing Gehenna upon their life. You are placing curses upon their life. And when people give you hell like Jesus, give them heaven. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
Oh, but they, they, were, they were angry at me. That does not mean you have the right to respond in kind. Jesus didn't. Maybe that's your missing piece. Proverbs 10, 19 says, When words are too many, sin is not absent. You lose all control and all you just want to speak and speak. You don't think before you, so you just start speaking. Usually that type of speech is filled with the hell fire that destroys lives. He who holds his tongue, Proverbs says, is wise. It can be a dangerous fire. Your mouth can be a dangerous fire. You can light the world around you on fire. You can give everybody hell and all it does is destroy lives. And that can be very obvious, but there's another way that you can speak that can kill people. Notice what he says. He says, there is all these animals who have been tamed, but the tongue is a deadly poison. How many of you hate spiders? How many of you hate spiders more than snakes? Anybody in that category? That's me. That's me. Snakes. How many of you hate snakes? Yeah, I figured that. I don't like spiders, and I hate them more than snakes. And here's the reason why. Because you can't always see spiders. Snakes, you usually can see them. A friend of mine uh, here in Denton, several years ago, he went to bed, lived out toward Aubrey. He went to bed, and uh, he woke up the next morning, and on his back, he just had a little bump. He's, he was scratching. He was just itching. He was like, man, I don't know what it is. A week goes by, and the little, the little mosquito-looking bite begins to turn red, and it starts getting little fingers, little, little vein-looking things going out of that. So he goes to the doctor after a couple weeks later. The little red mosquito-looking bite got dark. Matter of fact, it started turning black. What he found out was he went to bed one night, got inside the sheets, and inside the sheets where he couldn't see was a fiddleback spider, a brown recluse. And that thing bit him while he was sleeping. He didn't even know it. Some of our speech is not obvious, but it can still destroy. Gossip. Things that are said that you want to have a, you've got an agenda behind and you're talking and that person doesn't know what you're saying, but you're saying it and you're trying to work things around. Let me tell you something, that's as poisonous as a spider that bites you because nobody knows it is full of poison and it can destroy lives. Speech can destroy. But James doesn't end there. Look where he goes. Look at verse 9. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. With it, we curse men. We've been made, who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water fl- flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. 
Look at verse 9. He says, With the tongue we praise the Lord God our Father. I've often asked, Lord, why would you give us such a powerful thing in our, in our lives? It's so small, but it is yet so powerful. Global wars have been started with things like this. Genocide has happened because of things like this. Divorces have occurred because of this. Children have left home because of things like this. Churches have split apart because of this. I said, God, why would you give such a powerful thing to us? Because in the same way you can destroy, you can also bless. You see, your speech has the power to deliver blessing. You have the power to deliver blessing. There is, there is life in your words. Yes, there's death in your words. I mean, there is blessing in curses. Look at all the patriarchs. Abraham, when his sons came in, he blessed Isaac. What did Isaac do? He blessed Jacob. His words spoke over them. He prayed blessing over them. Jacob blessed all of his sons. Because the 